Good to be, it's good to be back, and uh, you notice I don't have much voice this morning, and I think it's from all the roller coasters, you know, I think I counted eight, I rode eight roller coasters, I think I hadn't rode a roller coaster in 20 years, but with the kids and grandkids, I, I couldn't, as, as I said on Facebook, I, I couldn't give up my cool card, I got to ride a roller coaster, man, we never got Sherry on there, I, you give her a hard time, everybody. We never got her on the roller coasters. But, so I, I got my hot tea going here, and we're going to get through. I'll, I'll try to keep it, I'll try to abbreviate if I can so you won't torture you for the next hour. <laughs> um, I really hope you put that uh, Parenting in the Apocalypse on your calendar. Um, I believe it's going to be really excellent for people with kids and grandkids. I, I met Annie Crawford in Houston, Texas at the uh, C.S. Lewis conference, and she did, she did the workshop Parenting in the Apocalypse, and I thought it was really great. She's a literature, she's an intellectual, she's the head of the Society of Women for Letter of Letters. Uh, but she can bring it down, don't worry, and, and I'm, not, I'm not at her level intellectually either, so, but she's, uh, uh, she's also a homeschooler, she's got three or four kids, so she's going to really un- talk to you moms and dads, uh, really down to earth where you are about parenting in these times in the changes that have happened in, in the world. And uh, she also has some excellent stuff on science and faith, how faith being the basis of science, and um, a lot of good stuff. So I, I really hope you will support this because it's part of the vision of our church. Is we, and, and in fact, I invite people who aren't parents to come because we need everybody to get on board and support the family and make families great and awesome. And so every, we need everybody. We need singles who are supporting families and families who are supporting singles. We need to be in this together. And it's, it's, it's all good. We, it's, it's not a, it's not a, we're not fighting the culture war. We're just building a culture. There's a big difference. The difference between fighting the culture war and, and battling that. And there's a place for that, I think. But what we mainly need to do is build a culture, build a community of faith, build communities, build families. So we're, we're very excited about that conference coming of that day coming up in June 10th but I know how easily it will slip by and you you will not have signed up and you will plan to go to your mother's house or major yard project and I sorry I do I plan this yard don't plan a yard project tell your mother you can't come you got to go to this so I've I've been wanting to talk about this for a while and I want to be really clear uh because I, I, I do want to I do want to move kind of rapidly through this. Obviously, my throat's not good, so I want to move through it. And so I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want you to. It may f- sound like at times I'm laying down the gauntlet. If you don't if you don't see pa- uh, me as your pastor, then get out. That's not at all where I'm coming from. I really want you to know how to get the most out of your church, how to get the most out of your pastors, and. Uh, somebody said, and, and I, don't, I don't feel abused either way. I feel loved here. I get a lot of kudos and a lot of pats on the back. And uh, every week I get people just being very nice and kind. And so I'm, this is not a, this is not a uh, I'm upset kind of a sermon. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, but someone said one time, if you do not know something's purpose, you will tend to abuse it. And so I think that I think that this is an area, I don't think we know what pastors are for. And I don't think we really know, and overall, Big C Church, 
What, what's pastors for? What, what's the church for? And so I kind of want to try to clear that up today. And, and here's a pastor named Jay John that I ran across on Instagram, and he's really uh, got a great sense of humor. And in this clip, I'm going to show you, it doesn't exactly zero on where I want going today, but it does capture the scope of the divine project that we all share here at BCC, as well as other churches, the community around the world, and how difficult it can be for a pastor to explain to people what his job is. Uh, so I think you'll enjoy this. People often say to me, they say, Jay John, you know, what, what do you do? And it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport and I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. <laughs> She went, wow! <laughs> and it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? <laughs> I said, it's called the church. <laughs> <laughs> If we are a follower of Jesus, wow. then we are part of a global enterprise. But not only is it global, it's intergalactic because it includes everyone that's gone before us. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty good, huh? Do you realize how important knowing what an object's primary purpose is? Sometimes it can work to use something for its unintended purpose. Sometimes, you know, if in an emergency, for example, you can live in your car. Uh, many people do. But it's going to be difficult and it's going to be frustrating. Uh, several years ago, I was driving down the turn, mass turnpike and I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I was this far from the guardrail. And it frightened me so badly. I said, I will never... I'll try not to ever drive sleepy again. And so one day I'm driving, and, and I'm, I'm just nodding. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm doing like that. So I'm going to have a So I pulled into a grocery store parking lot, and I kicked the seat back, and I just went to sound asleep. I wake up to a guy pounding on the window, and it was the manager of the store. 
Someone had gone and told him that someone had died out of the parking lot. <laughs> so you can use your car for a bedroom, but it's not ideal. It's not its intended purpose. You, you can use, you can, if you need to nail in a, a, a nail, you can, use a, you can use a rock to nail a nail, but it will be much better if you use a hammer because if that's the hammer's intended purpose. So I'm well into my 50th year of pastoral ministry. I can tell you that there's a lot of people in the church who don't understand the purpose of a pastor. We live in a day and age where anyone can podcast their favorite preacher and teacher and follow them on social media and watch them online and read their books. And the best part is that you can do all this without ever knowing, without them ever knowing you ever holding you accountable, ever providing any reproof or correction or giving you any specific direction for your life whatsoever. If they say something convicting you don't agree with, you just move on to a different podcast. But even for those who don't scroll YouTube or other favorite podcast platforms for a virtual pastor, plenty of people assign to pastors roles that are really designed to serve them emotionally but not transform them spiritually. Now granted, most of this list I'm about to give you, about to delineate, are functions of a good pastor. They are functions of a good pastor. And most of us will perform them cheerfully and gladly, and they are, I do feel like they're part of our job description. But yet they're not the primary role. That's what I want to get into. Let me give you some things that, that people view pastors as, and maybe you do too. The pastor is your chaplain. He's a chaplain. You're in the hospital. You feel he's, he did his job if he comes by. And you feel supported emotionally by him or her. Uh, I do believe women can pastor, okay? I hope that doesn't offend you, but uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a complimentarian. Uh, the pastor's a motivational speaker. That's a big one today. Uh, you want your pastor to preach interesting sermons and sermons that motivate you and sermons that amp you up to go out and take on the challenges of life. Uh, the pastor is your personal ministry employment director. This is a big one today because years ago we, we really began to focus on everybody discovering their spiritual gift and everybody discovering what God had called them to do. So in, in many minds, a good pastor is someone who finds everybody's job for them. Who's a, who's, a, who's a spiritual employment director. Uh, and by, uh, by the way, I believe in all these things. I believe all these things are a function of a pastor. Some things are cultural, and that's okay. Culture changes, and so we have to change with culture. We can't say everything, all changes of culture are sinful or wrong. They just are what they are. Culture changes, we have to change. Uh, another role that people assign as a pastor is the organizational CEO. He's the CEO today. That, that's a big one today. It's pastor's the CEO. And he, so he's responsible to create programs that meet everyone's needs. Everyone, there's got to be a program for Johnny, Susie, Billy, Grandpa, Grandma, a program for people who like to ride motorcycles, a program for people who like to play golf and softball, a program for people who are married, people who are unmarried, people who are single, people who are single but want to be married, people who are single and don't want to be married but like being single. A pastor, CEO, creates programs that keep everybody happy. 
And then there's the pastor, and this one is not as common as it used to be. Used to, people felt a part of a church if they got to vote on stuff. They had a voice. That, that, that's, not very, that's not very popular anymore. As churches, as megachurch became the, the model, megachurches had multiple services. You couldn't even get everybody in the building at the same time. So how in the world is everybody going to vote on everything? But, but years ago, that's how people determined whether they were valuable to a church, whether they got to have a voice in the church's decisions. And so in those days, and still some degree it, it happens, the pastor is a church political moderator and a power broker manager. You keep the power brokers happy. <clears throat> some, of you, some of you read John Maxwell's uh, 12 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And, and if you read that book, you know he had a, he had a, he had a, a, a board member who always ruled at every board meeting and so he, he would, and, and uh, his name was Claude, and uh, Claude would, would, would make the proposal of the thing to be voted on, and Benny would second it every meeting. So what Maxwell would do is if he wanted to do something down at the church, he would go out to Claude's farm, and he would, he would say, you know, boy, you know, there's water down in the basement and frogs are jumping around down there and it's a mess. And, you know, what do you think we ought to do about that, Claude? And Claude would say, we better get some guys and pick up trucks and get in there and get the sump pumps going and get that clean. We got we to gotta hire somebody to clean it. Well, I, you know, Claude, I think you're right. And so the, in the meeting, Claude would go, I propose that we blah, blah, blah to clean up that basement. And Benny would go, I second it. And so that's how John Maxwell led that church. And he was smart enough to know that sometimes you can't fight City Hall. You just do what you have to do to get the job done. But all these things, as, as much as we all have to do them when we're pastors, they miss the biblical definition of a pastor. So we want to, we yeah, we're not going to be impractical and say, oh, a pastor doesn't have to do any of those things anymore. But, let, but I, I would be, and pastors would be fulfilled and energized if they had from you, the congregation, the burden that the Bible puts on them. Because the Bible doesn't actually put any of those burdens on the pastor. In fact, Paul was probably the best pastor that ever lived, and the people in Corinth didn't like his preaching at all. They didn't think it was motivational or any good. But yet he was the greatest pastor that ever lived. It's no coincidence that three of the most important Old Testament Jewish leaders uh, were three, the three most important, were shepherds. Jesus referred to our relationship. You know, I'm talking about uh, Moses and, uh, and David, and I forgot the third one. There's the third one. Who's the third one? Somebody help me. Moses, David. I'll, it'll come to me later. Jesus referred to our relationship with the sheep and the shepherd 16 times compared to referring to himself as the light of the world three times and the bread of life seven times. So his favorite view of himself was he was people's shepherd. Uh, uh, he proceeds to refer to pastors as shepherds and clearly designs pastors to be his under-shepherds. Um, I started out really preparing this message, preparing to correct the congregation, but I want to be really honest, I got way more correction than you're going to get. 
I really would like to do this all over. <laughs> when I realize how much God wants me to be a shepherd. And I, in the early days, I, I really saw myself as a program director. I remember uh, going to hear C.M. Ward, who I deeply respect, the late C.M. Ward, uh, what a great man he was. But he said, if you're going to build a church, you've got to create traffic. So that was my thing. I'm going to create traffic. We're going to create programs. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to create programs. But I really believe in my early, especially my early days, I really didn't see myself as, as the shepherd that God wanted me to be. Let, let me give you three verses, verses of Scripture. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. Now the word, in some of your Bibles, it says pastor. But the, the proper word is shepherds. The shepherds and the teachers. Acts 20, 28, be careful to pay attention to yourself and all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, to care for, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 1 Timothy 5, chapter 1 uh, and 2, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Now, let's talk about what a shepherd is. What does a shepherd do? Well, first of all, a shepherd is called to know the condition of their flocks. It's easy as a pastor to focus almost exclusively on projects, events, programs, and deadlines. They're staring you right in the face. You know, I, I, I think it happens to all of those who take on the mantle of God's anointing to be a shepherd. The pressure to complete programmatically with, and I hate, to, I hate to say it this way, but even to compete programmatically with neighboring evangelical churches is, is tremendous. The pressure to compete. Because we, we're, we're, you know, what technology changes everything. And once the automobile was invented, People can choose which, which flock they're going to belong to, and they can change flocks. You can change flocks about as often as you want to because it's out there. And I'm not saying that's always wrong. I'm not saying that you should never change churches. But, um, but in, uh, a part of the problem of this is pastors don't know their flocks, and flocks don't know their pastor. Perhaps some of this is healthy, but it's easy to see people as a means to an end instead of the children of God who need to be led to reach their potential as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. It's easy for we as pastors to see you as a means to some level of success or a means to some idea of numerical growth, even financial success, rather than really caring for your souls. Early in the ministry, I remember, i never forget this, it, just, it, start, it stands out to me greatly. And a man that I, did, I, I really do, I did respect, and I still do, I think he was maybe, uh, at the time I was too young, I mean, it was like, I was like 25 years old, pastoring Westfield. And um, I, I didn't even think to question it, what he, what he meant. Um, and, and maybe he was just talking about a reality rather than a goal. <clears throat> but he said to a group of us sitting around there, it was actually in our little church in Westfield, he said, people are scaffolding. They come into your church 
and they help you get to the next level. Then they leave, and another group comes and helps you get to the next level. People are scaffolding. And something about that always grieved me. Something about that always, oh, I don't want to see people as scaffolding. I want to love people. I want to care for them. I want to care about their emotional state. I want to care about their spiritual growth. I want to care about the things that are doing that might be harming their life. I want to care about how they're raising their children in ways that if they keep down this path, their children are not going to be healthy. Their children are not going to serve God. They're not going to continue the faith to the next generation. I don't want to just see people as a means to an end. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? You desperately need to be treated as an individual. You desperately need to know and be known. You have situations in your life that you need to speak about and be spoken into about. Well, obviously, I can't meet everyone's need. It's my job, I believe, to see that everyone's needs are met. I completely understand the complexity of this task of knowing and being known. Furthermore, I'm not laying down the gauntlet saying we only want people to attend who want to know and be known. I'm simply saying that if you're ready to fully experience church and pastoring as scripture lays it out and clearly according to God's best for your life then I challenge you to open yourself up to pastoral concerns you know note that while there can only be one head of a church pastoral care can come from others that God gives a shepherd's heart to recently I know I heard on, on good, uh, good, good source, that someone got offended, deeply offended. That's another person who in this church who, I, it's a person that I know them, and they have a they they have a shepherd's heart. This person has a shepherd's heart. They really care about people, and they were concerned about a situation in someone's home that I was when I learned about it. I was concerned about it too. But when they spoke into it, the party got highly offended. What are you doing in my business? Well, to me, that's shepherding. To be in one another's business, to be in someone's business is shepherding them. How can someone shepherd you who's never in your business? The list of duties I gave before are well and good, but your pastors and those that have delegated pastoral responsibility need to feel the weight of the responsibility of your Christian character and your spiritual health. The reason pastors burn out is not because of the workload, but because we often feel that we matter to people that we don't, uh, we don't often feel, we often don't feel that we matter to people according to what matters most to God. Let me say that again, because I want you to make sure you hear that. The reason pastors burn out is not because of the workload or the hours. The reason we burn out is because we often don't feel that what matters to God what is, is the same thing that matters to you and what we're to do for you. You want us to do all those other things, which, fine, that's fair. We shouldn't get paid if we don't do all those. We don't direct the program, make sure the air conditioning's on, make sure the music's good, make sure the performance. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being a consumer. I'm a consumer too. If I was out there looking for a church, I would look for one that met some of my consumer needs. If, I, if there was a church where I had to stand for the whole service, I probably wouldn't go to it. 
you know. If it was a church where I had to sit on the floor, I probably wouldn't go because my, my knees and my back just won't do that. Right? If there was a church where the preaching was bad and the music was horrible, but, but I knew the leaders really loved God, I probably would try to find one where the music was good and the preaching was good and they loved God too. <laughs> if I had a choice, I don't have a problem with consumer, a little bit of consumerism. But the problem of, of the lack of pastor, sh- uh, pastor shepherding has become endemic in the body of Christ today. I talked to a man who was um, very involved in the church growth movement, so to speak. He was, worked for one of the largest megachurches in the United States. And uh, a church that was known for its small groups. And I asked him, I said, listen, you've been on the front row of the mega church movement. I, I said, I'm not. I'm in, I'm in Massachusetts. You know, and uh, a friend of mine says, if you look pastor Massachusetts, you should add a zero to the number in your church. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been to Atlanta and I've been, to, I've raised in Dallas with, I've been in these churches, 17,000, 20,000, 25,000. This church ran close to 30,000 people. And I asked him, because he was, he, was, uh, he was a major employee and high up in that leadership of that church, and a very nice man. And I asked him, I said, tell me, what is your assessment of the church growth movement? And what is your assessment of the megachurch? He said, well, it's two things we did wrong. We thought discipleship could be mass-produced. We thought disciples could be mass-produced. In other words, you go to class 101, 201, 301, and at the end of the class, you are a disciple, fully formed follower of Christ. Now you can be on the church's dream team. In other words, you can be a, you can welcome people out in the parking lot. And secondly, secondly, you weren't, he, he told me, we weren't, you just were not able to produce the pastoral care. He said, he said, we found out that we had many of our small groups were being led by people that weren't even Christians, that weren't even believers, were leading our small groups. There is a crisis in the church world today of people not being pastored and not being shepherded. Now, maybe you don't agree with me. I'm going somewhere with this. Not just today's sermon. I'm going where, this is part of my vision today, that we create a shepherding environment. That this, be, this, this is a place and remains a place and becomes even more so a place where you're going to have someone who cares, not, not judgmentally, not cultish. We, we can do this without being judgmental or harsh or cultish, but really care about your condition of your soul. The Bible says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, Hebrews 13, 17. Um, something that I'm going to, I've already started doing, but I'm going to do it more often, is when you want to talk to me about something, I'm going to ask you this question. Am I your pastor? And if you say no, I'm still going to talk to you. 
I'm still going to give you advice. I'm still going to spend time with you. I'm still going to counsel you. I'm still going to love you. Nothing's going to change in that regard. But I'm going to be different if you say, you're my, I'm, you're my pastor. I'm going to be a little more direct, and I'm going to be a little more honest, and I'm going to be a little more clear if you say, yes, you're my pastor. If you say, no, you're not my pastor, then let's have a wonderful exchange of ideas. I'm happy to do that. And maybe later, you'll, maybe, maybe I'll be so good that you'll go, hey, at the end, you'll go, hey, can we revisit that idea of you being, I think I'd like for you to be my pastor. Okay, good. I won you over. The balancing verse for Hebrews 13, 17, which scares a lot of people today, the thought of obeying anyone, is pretty frightening today, in today's world. Uh, the, the, the hypocrisy of it is people go obey the most bizarre people when they won't obey normal, healthy people. But okay, what? So, did somebody say man back there? The balancing verse of and I love this verse, by the way. I love, I love Acts 17, 11. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. No, they were more open-minded. They weren't cl- more close-minded. They were more open-minded than Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. That's the balance. Acts 17, 11 is the balance of Hebrews 13, 17. That you, you have every right to shut me down if I'm not preaching the word. You have authority, you and the word have authority over me and anybody else who calls himself a pastor in this place. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk to you about today was that uh, a shepherd is called to know the condition of their flocks. Um, I want to give you something else, in the, but I'll just save it for later in the message. A shepherd is called to be sure their flocks identify with them. Every Christian, I believe, according to Scripture, I believe every Christian should know who their shepherd is. There's no biblical precedent for simply being a member at large in the body of Christ. There's no biblical precedent for that. Now, you may have invented that. But I don't see it in the scripture at all. The, uh, uh, I, I read a wonderful story of someone who studied shepherding in the Middle East. And uh, the shepherds, and I'd read this before in, in biblical research, that shepherds would carry a little flute with them, that they would play a song. And this t- man talked about watching all, the she- all these different sh- flocks of sheep go to drink at a, at a, water, a watering source. And uh, so they all got mixed in together. They're all, they're all drinking. And when a shepherd decided it was time to go, he would, start, he would stand back and start to play a song on his flute. And it, he said it was amazing. All the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would leave the water hole and come and form a group and follow that shepherd. They knew who their shepherd was. Biblically, I think... I believe with all my heart you should know who your pastor is. Identifying with your shepherd means you know who your shepherd is. Identifying with your shepherd means that you're not, that they are not celebrities, but spiritual parents. Arab shepherds wore a simple tunic, cotton that was girded around their body by a leather girdle along with camel's hair outer garment. This was not, this was not 
um, uh, high society dress. <laughs> Shepherds were, were disdained. In many places, they weren't even allowed to go into the temple because they were dirty and smelly. Because they smell like sheep. A pastor should smell like his sheep. There's no such thing as a celebrity pastor. No such thing. You can be a celebrity, but you can't be a celebrity pastor. That's not to say none of them have not... I'm not to say that none of them have organized their church so that people are pastored. That's not for me to judge. I am sure that some of them have. But that guy, that, that guy who's up there in the pulpit is not their pastor. Identifying with your shepherd means you have found someone you trust to have your best interest at heart. You, you, see, you get to choose whether someone's going to be your pastor or not. You know, I want to tell you something. I make a lot of mistakes. I have several glaring weaknesses, and I get a lot of things wrong. But I know my heart is right toward you. I know that. I have no doubt. Identifying with your shepherd means they are accessible. Someone can't be your shepherd who's not accessible. John Piper, in his book, Brethren, We Are Not Professionals, said the professionalization of the ministry is a constant threat to the offense of the gospel. It is a threat to the profoundly spiritual nature of our work. I've seen it often. The love of professionalism kills a man's belief that he is sent by God to save people from hell and to make them Christ-exalting spiritual aliens in the world. Identifying with your shepherds is you know what your shepherd is like, including their vulnerabilities, weaknesses, and unique personality traits. Every shepherd is different. We're all different, and we all have vulnerabilities. We all have weaknesses and unique personality traits. Identifying with your shepherd means you know their heart and the causes they have passion for. If you don't know that I have a passion to change the conversation in the world about the church, you don't know me. If you don't know that I have a passion for families and for parents to disciple their children, then you don't know me. If you don't know that I believe that although we will all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and if you don't know that I believe we will, we will all fail and we will all stumble forward, but that I do believe that we should be striving to live a life of holiness and that, that faith without works is dead. If you don't know that, then you don't know my heart. You need to know my heart. You need to know my heart. A good shepherd communicates to the flock where he's trying to take them. Something I can do better at, by the way. Thirdly, a shepherd is called to make their pasture a safe place for the sheep. When sheep are grazing in the pasture, they know when they're at risk. The shepherd does, I mean, not the sheep. When the shepherd's flock is uncertain or fearful, he or she must create a sense of calm. Shepherds, let me give you a bullet, some bullet points. Shepherds communicate constantly. I, I, want, you to, I want you to know something. We, we can curse social media or we can use it. We should probably do a little of both, curse it and use it. But... I am constantly posting things that are designed to feed you. And I'm, 
I'm, I'm thankful that people in Texas and Oklahoma and my, people from my past are watching what I write. But I want you, I, I'm writing it for you, my flock. Those things that I'm constantly teaching and constantly sharing. God has called me to be a teacher, so I'm constantly trying to teach you. I'm constantly trying to do things that will bless you and motivate you and help you in your life, help you. I'm not so concerned. I'm not as concerned about what you are on Sunday as what you are on Monday. I want you to have victory on Monday. I want you to have power in your life on Monday. I want you to know the way of God on Monday. Shepherds treat everybody with importance. I really feel a deep appreciation and respect for everybody. Everybody's important to me. And I don't get around to everybody. That's, that's, you understand that. But shepherds deal with and if necessary remove rebellious sheep. Now, this is the difficult part of pastoring. Is there are people who become so rebellious. You correct them. And sometimes you have to correct them right out the back door. Because they are, are going to lead people astray. And they're going to hurt people. And they're going to keep using people until one day you say, I've had enough. I could tell you stories, but I will not. Shepherds are constantly moving the sheep to new pastors. Constantly moving to a theme that is what God is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying, what is feeding us. Shepherds are visible and present. They're not hiding from you. Shepherds deal with problems before they fester and take root. They had... The shepherd had two tools, the rod and staff. The staff was a staff of accountability. Very important to understand the staff, the rod and staff. Um, I found this verse as I was preparing this that I honestly hadn't seen before. Ezekiel 20, 37. I will take note of you as you pass under my rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will take note of you as you pass them. I thought, what in the world is that? You know what that's about, Steve? I had no idea what that was about. What does that mean, pass under the rod? We think of rod, we think of beating. And I know they're not beating the sheep. In fact, I couldn't find anything in Scripture where the sheep were to be beaten with the rod. But they were passing the rod. And and part of my research found out that, that one thing they would do now, they did have to sacrifice the sheep, some of the sheep in, those, in the Old Testament. Not anymore. Jesus took care of that. But they would uh, paint, uh, uh, they would paint, uh, they would use some sort of dye on the end of the rod, and every tenth sheep, all the sheep would go into the rod, and every tenth sheep they would mark as, as the tithe to the Lord. But whether they did that or not, still every sheep had to go, in other words, every sheep had to be accounted for. So every sheep had to individually come into the rod. The shepherd had to know all of his sheep. All of his sheep had to be known. I will, uh, and, and notice what, uh, how it reads. I will take note of you as you pass under my rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. In other words, what a pastor is supposed to be doing is try to get as many as possible to come under the rod and join and become a covenant part of the church. A, a, a committed part of the church. That's what it's teaching. Psalms 23, 4 says, Your rod and staff, they comfort me. The staff was a staff of redemption. It had a crook on it. And when a sheep would be about to run out 
and, be, uh, and a predator was nearby, the shepherd would take that crook and he would pull them back from that predator. If they would fall into a ditch, he would take that crook and he would pull them out of the ditch. The staff was a staff of direction. They would prod them to go in a specific direction. The rod was a rod of discipline. No record of beating sheep, just very, very momentary pain to redirect them. And the rod was a rod of protection that he would destroy. That shepherd would destroy a lion or a bear or a predator that was about to take his sheep. Nothing mattered to him more than his sheep. See, you can't submit to the leadership of a virtual pastor. And there's nothing to submit to if you don't see your pastor as having been given by God a biblical job description. You can't hold someone that don't, doesn't know you accountable. A pastor is someone who, as Timothy Whitner summarizes, is committed to knowing you, feeding you, leading you, and more importantly, protecting you. So let's bring this to a close today. <clears throat> I'd like for our prayer partners to get in place to pray for you today. What is the heart of shepherding? First Peter chapter 5, verse 4. When the chief shepherd shall appear, then we shall also appear with him in glory. It's found in the New Testament in the book of 1 Peter. It's obvious that God has formed us to function best when we function as sheep. Pastors are first of all called to be sheep themselves. I'm working on creating a true elder council of ordained pastors outside of our church who will, who will hold the senior pastor accountable directly. And I'll let you know when we get that done. I'm, I'm being very careful because I want the right people. It's most critical <clears throat> that I have a heart to be shepherded as well as you. Unfortunately, we have moved so far from the shepherding model of organizing the church. Count yourself blessed if you're with a group of people who understand it and have a heart for it. Our pastors must also have a heart for shepherding. It's the only pattern that God has given us for organizing humanity under his kingdom rule and protection. I'm calling you and asking you as a person to say, I want to place more value on being shepherded than being entertained. It's okay to be entertained. It's nice to be entertained sometimes. But I want to place more value on being shepherded than being uh, programmatically served. I want to place more value on being shaped into the image of Christ than all those other things that have happened to us here in the 21st century. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So, to be shepherded doesn't mean that you lost your ability to make independent decisions or to join a cult, but it does mean that you start embracing the value of the flock just as highly as your personal relationship with Jesus. And you use the flock and shepherds in our midst to check your personal relationship and your revelations to make sure they're of God. See, with Bethany, we have two, two tracks. Your relationship with God and your relationship with the body of Christ. Your relationship with God is independent in some ways of your relationship with Christ, of the body. It's important that you have a personal relationship with God that has nothing to do with the church. 
But then to, to really grow as a person, you will have both. To really grow as a person, you will have a relationship with God and you have a relationship with people who also have a relationship with God. That's what I'm calling you to today. Now, our altars are open to pray for you because we want to shepherd you. That's why we have prayer partners. We care about what's going on in your life. So I want everybody in the room, you have a need in your life of any kind, I want you to come and be prayed for today. And if you have not made the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, I will never be the chief shepherd. None of the pastors here will be the chief shepherd. Jesus will always be the chief shepherd. We're all accountable to him. He sets the model. It, it makes the point that if there's a chief shepherd, there are under shepherds. Or how, why would, how else would you have a chief shepherd? Yes, we are under shepherds. But listen, having a relationship with me won't get you into heaven. Having a relationship with me won't get you eternal life. You need a relationship with the chief shepherd. I, I don't get in his way. I try not to anyway. So I want to invite you. If you have made that decision today, you want to become a follower of Christ, come and tell these prayer partners you made the decision. But these altars are now open for any need. I'm going to take just a moment and give you time to come. I pray, God, that we would really embrace the idea of being your sheep, every one of us, including myself, that I would just submit myself to you. I would submit myself, Lord, to those that you would call to shepherd me and to speak into my life. And I would be humble before you and never be arrogant. Lord, never try to be, uh, never try to be more important than anyone else. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would give us a shepherding environment, a shepherding culture, Bethany Community Church, where we speak into one another's lives. We're not threatened by one another. We're not, we're not, we're not afraid to be candid with one another. We're not afraid to be humble before one another. We're not afraid to care about one another's emotional state. And we're not afraid to give encouragement to one another and love and everything, Lord, shepherding is way more about love than it is about correction. It's way more about affirmation than it is about rebuke. We pray, God, that you would give us a heart to shepherd and be shepherded. In Jesus' name, amen.